That's what we were looking at, or going to look at, when in our last study was First uh, Corinthians two, beginning in verse six, going through the third chapter, verse four. And in this in this block of scripture, the Apostle Paul speaks of the local body, the church there at Corinth, confronted with the mind of God. Now, what, what mindset do they have now? We've already saw that they're divided, right? Paul began in chapter 1, verse 10, and he told them very clearly, he said, uh, uh, I would that you all speak the same things, be of the same mind, the same judgment, because they weren't. And so now they need a, a refresher course, or at least the confrontation with the fact that God has revealed himself and it's his word that we go by not not whatever whims or fashions we have now you remember there's Paul used himself and Apollos he said uh, why are you calling yourself after me I didn't die for you uh, but they were <coughs> divided and that'll destroy a congregation because one group will eventually go somewhere else, another group somewhere else. Division will destroy a local congregation. Now, if they have sin in it, that's natural. And you can take care of that by the preaching of God's Word. And that can, that's the medicine that's dispensed through teaching and preaching and uh, reading the Bible. But division is something else. Men get puffed up one against another and, and they begin to look down their nose as though they were superior and their group was superior. And so Paul, here they are, they've raised Paul up and Apollos and Cephas and some are following Christ and they're making a big deal out of this as though these men were something. Now when Paul gets to the third chapter and verse 6, I believe it is, 
No, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I have in a figure transferred these things about this division unto myself and Apollos for your sakes that you might learn in us not to ever elevate any man above God's word. And so right now, before we get to chapter 3, verse 6, we will end in chapter 3, verse 4, as he discusses beginning in chapter 2, verse 6, uh, that the church is confronted with the mind of God. We are too. Every congregation is. But as he writes in Corinth, well, it was to the body there. All right. in chapter 1 verse 26 and going through chapter chapter 1 all the way through it that the local church is composed of those that would uh, that the world would call fools he's already described that because of the preaching of the gospel to the Jew it was a stumbling block to the Greeks it was foolishness to think that a savior could die on a cross to save a nation to save a people you know, they made, they mocked him on the cross. They said, uh, others, he can, uh, if you be the Son of God, come off that cross. Save yourself. And then they mocked him. They said, others he can save, but he cannot save himself. And so they look on the Christian as being a fool to follow such a, a ridiculous doctrine as the gospel. And that's what the gospel is. You remember in chapter 1, Paul uh, declared that uh, uh, after that in the wisdom of God the world by its wisdom did not know God and so it pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached now your King James says the foolishness of preaching but it, in the context it's referring back to the gospel that's being discussed here and so it, it's the foolishness of the thing preached that they looked upon as being foolish. And consequently, they look upon us as fools. And then Paul, you remember, he went into that in chapter 1. He made it very clear uh, that uh, man did not know about God. Man's not that smart. In fact, in Genesis 6, after they were cast out of the garden, it says, and then men began to call on the name of the Lord. They wanted his counsel. They wanted his wisdom. They wanted his direction in setting up their earthly kingdoms and their homes and all that. They wanted his counsel, his leadership. They saw a dire need for it. And so Paul there in the first Corinthians, the first chapter, he reasons with those fool, those people who would elevate themselves as though they were somebody. He said, you know, if God had to uh, Foolishness, his foolishness would be uh, far beyond our uh, wisdom and knowledge. And his strength, uh, his weakness, his weakest day would be stronger than our strength. And he goes into a discussion of that to show them that they need the revelation of God's leadership and his word. And so now he's going to talk about how they have what he said in the first chapter in verse 1 through 9, 
He said, you have all things. God has not left anything out. He's given you all things. Your problem is that you're not reading it and you're not obeying it. And so, uh, because God's given completely all things, uh, and that's what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 1. He said, according to His divine knowledge, He's given us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness. We studied that Sunday morning. God has given us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness. And where's it found? Read the rest of the verse and it'll tell you. Through the knowledge of Him that's called us to glory and virtue. And so here they're confronted with the mind of God. And Paul's going to talk about that. They have the cure to all their ills. We have the cure to all of our ills. We have the cure that will bind us together, cause us to love one another, and to never be able for the devil to separate us at all. Because he is the separator. He's the one that creates doubt. He's the one that uh, will cause you to be frustrated and give up because you don't understand grace. God's with us, even in our darkest day. And so, God has given us all we need right here. It's complete. That was one of the questions that come up today in the restaurant. Uh, because the devil has planted seeds of doubt in the minds of people that God, uh, he had good intentions but man has taken out parts of the Bible and done this to it and done that to it so that we're not complete down here. And all I had to do was just quote two scriptures and right away he said, boy, that's pretty clear. God has given us all things that pertain in the life and the godliness through the knowledge of him that called us. But the devil, creating doubt, he's got the world thinking, oh, well, men are stronger than God because they went in there and screwed up His Word. He wanted to save everybody. He didn't want anyone lost. And so He revealed His grace and His mercy on the cross and in the Word. And man screwed it up. I don't think man's that powerful to you. No, he's not. That's ridiculous to even think that. And so Paul is dealing with this division that's in the church. In the first four chapters, he's going now to show them that they have the mind of God and uh, that God has revealed himself so that they can know. Uh, so, let me get out of Romans here and get back to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> First Corinthians 2, and again we're uh, beginning in verse 6. And so, uh, it's not at all worldly wise, the church. Worldly powerful, worldly significant. We have to renounce that if that's what we are to become exceedingly useful then we can use whatever we are. Uh, it's an unusual makeup of things, but it's literally true that the highly educated, 
as Paul was, has to count it as manure in order to gain Christ. And the Lord gives it back to me to spread it all around and use it properly. And so the man that's highly educated has to come off that education because the devil builds him up. And what did Paul say about education? He said it builds, it, it makes, uh, how is it he said that? He said knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You know what's going to edify the church? Love. Love for one another. Love is one speaks to the audience, and the audience responds. But what what causes division and things like that? The proud, the arrogant, and those who think they know something, the knowledgeable. And so here Paul, with this great education he had, he had to become a broken man in order to serve the Lord. And that's true with every one of us. That's why life has its paramount problems is to break a man down so that he can see. You know, you can't see as well uh, before you cry. But after you cry, it's kind of like those tears washed away so you can see. And that's what punish, that's what the, the, the purpose of life is. It's a sore travail God has put man to here on the earth to be exercised thereby. He loves you, but it's, he's dealing with you like a son or a daughter. And he's going to take you into the valley of trouble for a door of hope. And we can learn that from Hosea 2, verse 14 through 15. All right, so uh, so education did not open doors for him, Paul. And his Roman citizenship opened, didn't open doors for him. And all of those things he renounced. He got back to uh, use successfully for Christ after he was a broken man. Uh, it's sort of like we give up on uh, houses, cars, and all of the uh, and all of that to the Lord. And then the Lord says, "You live up." You live in my house, but remember, if anybody comes through and needs a house, I want them to stay in my house that you're taking care of. And so a man's got to change his thinking about things. You don't own anything. You've been blessed with a few things. Who blessed you? Oh, but I made that. I went out here and I struggled and I made that. Oh, you did? Who provided a job for you? Who's looked for mankind and helped man all the way through? Remember Genesis? God set us forth with a commission to go forth and struggle the earth, subdue the earth, and all things. He gave us a high position as a conqueror. But how did we conquer? Not by ourselves. Because he said, and I'll be with you all the way through it. Let me stop here a moment and explain this. Man built an airplane. Jets that fly across the sky go thousands of miles in a little bit of time. Who do we give the credit to? 
Oh, look at the smartness of America. Boy, we just know how to do every stuff. We never think of God in this. Was he there? He said he was. He said he would be always. How did we come to the knowledge of the, the metals that goes into a gasoline engine? Well, I'll just use that as an example. How did we come to understand uh, how the expansion and contraction that would be between a piston and a cylinder? And how did we come up with the concept of keeping oil supplied there to keep that from wearing the metal? Oh, but man, is a smart one. Boy, look at him. We never give God the credit. All of this technology we have, God sends this knowledge to men. All of, every now and then there's an Einstein that pops into uh, our midst. He, was a, uh, he proved to be an idiot and everything, but uh, a certain type of science. <laughs> Where'd he come from? What about these little kids that they call, what's that disease where they're actually an idiot but good in one thing? Autistic. 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 It's my opinion, and God sends one of them every now and then, uh, merely to mock us and to show us. Because here's a little kid. I seen one that was four years old. They had to help him up on the stool to play the piano. He had never in his life heard Beethoven. And they let him listen once to Beethoven. And that little fellow played it and never missed a note. And so we seem to be ignorant of the fact that God is with us. Is He with the church? Yeah. If you'll humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, Peter says He will exalt you. The reason we never get exalted is because we, maybe there's a problem with our humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And until you do, He's not going to exalt you. But He has the potentiality, doesn't He? And so we need, when we think of tanks and airplanes and the mighty force and military and the guns that uh, can fight our wars by shooting out a thousand bullets a second or whatever. Need to remember technology of that kind comes from God. Have you ever figured out all these things on your own? Don't you stand in awe of the development of the gasoline engine? When we needed it, there was the knowledge and the ability. And we just give it to man. Yeah, this idiot working down there at the fuel station, he invented this. Oh, really? And again, where's God in all of this? And didn't he tell us he'd be with us? In our struggling the earth, in our conquering all of the technology that we've conquered that has benefited mankind. And like he said to Israel, the more I bless you, the farther you leave me. And so... Remember, well, you don't remember. I do to some extent. But the early 1900s, man came into a depression like they never saw before. There was no jobs, no money, nothing. 
And I don't know why God was punishing us. I don't know what we've done to deserve it, but we did, and he did. And here we was, my dad was riding freight trains looking for work all over, doing anything, whatever it took to get a dollar to bring home to the family. And there was millions in America in that same position. The whole nation was going through what we call the Great Depression. All of a sudden, we started learning how to build airplanes and tanks and cars. And we came from the Model A up to what we got now. We got cars that'll run three, four hundred thousand miles without any overhaul if you take care of them, if you put the oil in them and stuff. Where'd all that technology come from? All of a sudden, when man needed it, God was there working with us. But do we give him the credit? No, no, we don't. No, we just automatically think, man, they were some smart people that invented that gasoline engine and the jet engine and all these other things. <laughs> and we just leave God out of it. Well, in religion, we leave God out of it too, don't we? And yet we profess to worship God with what we think, not what he wants. And so Paul's reminding the church in Corinth that they have the mind of God. All right. But the world sees us as fools because we look to a cross and to the deliverance, the salvation from a cross. Now, that don't sound like a king, does it? You know, Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he said, yeah, that's thou sayest, yeah. He said, but my kingdom's not of this world, else would my servants fight. And uh, that kingdom, well, I forgot what my point was now. Uh, that kingdom stands with the power of the gospel if we believe it. And I believe it. It's been proved to me by the scriptures, by by uh, what happened in a time-space dimension called history, it's undeniable. Here was a Savior that come to this earth with divine powers and proved it. These things didn't happen in a corner. That's what Peter said in his message. He said these things didn't happen in a the corner. They were right out in the open for the world to see. And there's, there's no books written to deny it. Oh, there's antagonists that write against it but there's no evidence to deny it. The miracles of Jesus, the things that proved his divinity, are locked into a time-space dimension we call history. And that's the way God wanted it, and that's the way he did it. And that's the way it'll stand forever. And because of that, I, I see my victory in the cross. Man doesn't. There's people in the church that does not yet see their victory in the cross. They preach the cross. They partake of the supper that represents the cross, and, uh, uh, but they don't see the power there. Because where, do they, where are they looking for the power to be saved? If I'm good enough, I, I might be saved. I've I got to be good enough. I hope the Lord lets me live long enough to be good enough. Where do they see the power of salvation? 
It's not there, but that's where they see it right here. Who got them to do that? The devil. He's the deceiver. But where's it really at? It's with God. And so the world looks on us as being stupid and fools. We're believing in a cross. But that's where the power of God is. And like Paul said in there in 1 Corinthians, last week in the first chapter, he said the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But to you and me, it's the power of God. Because we see the plan of God, the design of God. And so here we're looking... Uh, I'm trying to get back into Romans again. and It ain't going to work. <laughs> so Paul is going to present the mind of God here. Uh, since we have, have to become fools in order to get in, and that's what Paul did. He had to count his, his great astute knowledge of going to the world-class uh, college of his time. Uh, he had to count that as manure. And that's the word he used. Dumb. Manure. as nothing. Now, how many men you know that counts their great educations as dumb? For the, for the knowledge of Christ. No, they're after more of that dumb. They're hanging on to that dumb. They see power in the dumb. They don't see it in the gospel, but they see it in the dumb. And so we can't be, uh, become wise once uh, uh, until we look upon the things of this world as dumb and the preciousness of God's revelation to us. Uh, we can't go back and appeal to all this human wisdom that we had to renounce to come to Christ. We don't have to. Now, this is not uh, uh, thrusting uh, against uh, what uh, later we'll call Gnosticism. This is not Gnosticism. Gnosticism grew out of the human propensities, the human uh, humans that were bent uh, of people to want to trust in the little bit that they know. And in reality, if you and I know all there is to know in the whole universe, if we know everything in the whole universe, we're still in God's kindergarten, aren't we? Isn't it amazing that our world is, is stands in awe of God's creation, yet they won't give Him credit for it? The medical profession. They'll operate on your back, on your brain. Do they have uh, any success? Whatever success they have is less than what it started out to be. You let them operate on your back, and yeah, they can take away the pain, remove and seize things up in there, but you'll never walk like you did when God made you. And you'll never, you won't have the quality. But men are obsessed in the medical profession. They're still, to this day, searching and looking and wanting to know more about the human frame because they'll, tell, they'll be honest with you and tell you there's very little we know about the human body. 
But boy, this wisdom of the world put on a show. Oh, we just know every step. You got to do this. Look at this uh, COVID-19. Look at all them professors and scholars and them doctors and the debates that they're getting into. They're, they, they're scared to death to get into a debate because a little bit of time lapses and time proves them to be fools. Because then they, they find out that their theory didn't work. Oh, wear a mask. Oh, now, yeah, now we, you better wear two masks. And then somebody comes along and says, well, that's absurd because a mask keeps the bacteria and puts it right back into your system. So you see how they waller around in a search to understand the human body. They do the same thing in science, out in space and things like that. They stand in awe of it. They go down to the depths of the sea and find monster, uh, animals down there, even to this day, that they didn't know existed. They find new ones. Their, their search is to look into what God created and see something so awesome that we'll never... But if we had all the wisdom, all the knowledge, we'd still be in God's kindergarten. And so man's got to become broken He's got to look upon his education as dung for the knowledge of Christ. Because what's education going to tell you? Oh, you're a fool to believe that. Don't you know that you came from the sea, swung in a tree, and that's you? Don't you know evolution? Why, let me tell you about evolution. Let me tell you about the great fart in the sky. Everything happened with a bang. And all everything in the whole universe come out of a little speck that you can't even see. Now, if you can believe that, boy, I want to talk to you about a bridge. Well, I mean, we haven't started the school yet uh, uh, compared to what God knows and the mind that he's given us. And he's given us a mind that gives us all things pertaining unto, Peter said, unto life, the living of life, and God-likeness. We have it all. There, there's no, man didn't slip in there and pull out a piece here to pull out a piece there. That makes them stronger than God. And his love wouldn't allow it. He sacrificed his own son to redeem us, and then he stands there wiggling his thumbs and all worried. Look what you're doing to my word down there that's supposed to save people. That's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous thing it ever was. And yet at the same time, he's feeding the whole world. And he calls the sun up every morning to do its job of fertility of our gardens and everything and our tree fruit trees and, and all of that. Boy, howdy. We need to do a lot of talking around in that area, don't we? About the glory of Almighty God that's before us every day. And the devil has put blinders on us so that we only see what he wants us to see in the way that he wants us to see it. And yet we'll come to church and sing, To God be the glory, great things he has done. And we're just pumping out words because we really don't know about it. We haven't studied it. 
We've never given it much thought. All right, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, Paul had talked about uh, the uh, proclamation. First of all, in verse 1, the message is not resting on human wisdom in verse 1. Is the fact that he proclaimed that the testimony about God. And now we find out later that the testimony about God is Jesus because he's determined to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And so what does Paul look at the testimony of God as being? Jesus and him crucified. All right? Where did Philip, when God sent Philip to the eunuch in Acts the 8th chapter, where did Philip begin to preach to him? I, uh, the eunuch's riding along and he's reading in Isaiah the 53rd chapter. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no. Tell me. And it says that Philip began at that same scripture and what did he preach to him? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the theme of the whole Bible. This is proof that you can begin with any scripture in the Bible and bring it around to teaching about Jesus because Jesus is the summation of all things. He's the, uh, the way and the truth and the life. Uh, he's the Son of God, the one who is the Savior of the world, the one who created the world, along with the other two fellows, the Father and the Holy Spirit. You remember in Genesis, let us make man in our own image? Us is more than one. Who's he talking to? Well, the Bible reveals there's three in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And according to plan, the Father planned it, the Son executed it, and the Holy Spirit revealed it. Pretty simple, isn't it? And now Paul is going to tell them about the revelation of the Spirit of God to mankind. And so uh, uh, Paul proclaimed God's wisdom beginning in verse uh, chapter 2. Uh, not re uh, not a, uh, a repeated human wisdom. I know some people, I can tell you what they read about because they're simply repeating the last good book they've read. And that's human wisdom to simply repeat what you've heard, what the devil wants you to hear, what he wants you to know. The news media is doing that in politics, aren't they? You have to go to Fox News to find out the bad side of everything because the other ones are repeating what they want you to know. So Paul said, I'm not uh, in that cult. I am a voice. So in verse 1, uh, uh, you got uh, your choice. Uh, you can be an echo or a voice. You can echo all that's been said before or you can speak out of the depths of your own heart and, come, uh, and concern and study. And so Paul said, I want you to know I didn't 
come with eloquence uh, of what I've heard, echoing what I've heard. I came proclaiming the testimony about God. And so that's the first step uh, in not relying or resting on human wisdom. Because he said he did all this so that you wouldn't rest on human wisdom. So the first thing to know the proper method of the local church is to proclaim the testimony about God that Calvary represents, that the world calls foolishness. We'll find out in the next verse of that fact. Now the message is a crucified warrior. That's what the message is. That's what Christ was, a crucified warrior, a crucified victor. Now that's definitely not worldly wise uh, to proclaim somebody even could save himself and he's the savior of the world. They saw that as foolishness and the world still does today. But the point is he didn't need to save himself because he never got lost. He came to save you and me. And if Jesus had come off of that cross like they mocked him and said, if you be the Son of God, come off the cross. If he'd come off that cross, you and I wouldn't be here with salvation at all. Now that's the problem manifested at the foot of the cross with the statement, he can save others, but he can't save himself. He didn't need saving because he didn't go to the cross for his own benefit. But our message is He won by losing. Did you hear that? He won by losing. He lived by dying. And he overcame by surrender. There's three key words there, and that applies to you and me, because in Romans 6, 3-6, what does it say about baptism? We're baptized into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so, again, our message is that he won by losing. We've got to lose the worldly side of things and quit looking at the world as though they had wisdom on life and on raising children in the home. Uh, Dr. Spock, you know, if you, if you look to human wisdom, oh, there was millions of people that bought Dr. Spock's book And Dr. Spock, before he died, I heard him in an interview. He felt so ashamed. He said, I take uh, responsibility of destroying the whole generation with my book. He said, I've now renounced it. You remember his philosophy? Oh, don't spank the little fella. You might warp his personality. And he said, I take credit for the fact that I screwed up the whole world. Before he died, he wanted the world to know that. But everybody follows the leader, you know, and they follow this human wisdom. Well, to come to Christ, you've got to do what with human wisdom? You've got to count it as dumb. You've got to clear the slate off. You've got to erase the board in your mind to come to Christ because you're dealing with a different world. You're dealing with the logos, the word. 
that became flesh. And so he won by losing. He lived by dying, and that's the only way you're going to live. You've got to die to self, don't you? And you've got to die to this world. This world is not your, uh, your pie. It has some juicy things in it, but they're temporary. And they'll pass away one day, as you will. It's time you learn that. And so, uh, he won by losing, he lived by dying, and he overcome by surrender. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's surrender that he may exalt you in due time. Second Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Now, how much worldly wisdom is in all that? Uh, not any. And so, not only is our message not humanly wise or, uh, uh, or uh, proclaiming, but our, me our method is not uh, humanly wise. When we talk about the crucified Savior, they see us as fools. Now, we're a little embarrassed about that sometimes, uh, we want to build our case on logic, don't we? Logic is fabulous as long as you don't depend upon it for your power. It gives a lot of power to what you say, or maybe the way you say it. But really what it does is builds up your ego. And Paul said, I didn't come to you with them kind of words. I come to you with the simplicity of the cross, the preaching of Christ him crucified. A lot of times we want our message to be powerful. No way they can be powerful unless we simply proclaim a crucified Savior and trust in that power. And that's what we've got to do. Because when you stand in the pulpit, you're thinking, boy, I've I got to look into some of this human wisdom and uh, impress the congregation with how smart I really am. You want to impress the congregation, preach the gospel to them. Preach the grace of God. And when men begin to see it, um, we talked about that out here on the trail today. And the fact that uh, Romans 1, verse 18 through Romans 3, verse 20, proved once and for all that man is of total failure. I don't care how much education he's got. I don't care how many colleges he's attended. Romans 1.18 through 3.20 shows you that from history of the world, from Adam and Eve up until now and to continue, man by himself is a fool. He's a stupid fool. He thinks he knows every stuff. Don't know nothing. He's failed all the way through. We, we looked at Romans 1.18 through 3.20. And we saw that the Jew and the Gentile, that all men are needing a Redeemer and the knowledge of the cross and the power of the cross. And they need the direction and the counsel of God. Because the proper writer again merely stated the fact that it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. 
Oh, but I, I've been to college. Oh, well, get on out there, fool, and give it your best shot. And you're going to a devil's hell. Because God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6. Go ahead, idiot. You don't need the church. And you don't need to go up there and listen to that stupid preacher. You don't need anybody instructing you on wisdom. Well, ignore the wisdom of God. There's a devil's hell waiting for you. And it isn't that God's vindictive. He's revealed himself and we have the mind of, of God. And that's going to be Paul's point, if I can ever get to it. <laughs> now, naturally, we're in favor of our studies and homiletics and all of those studies, as long as it don't go to our head. And our exegetical classes, as long as it don't go to your head. And naturally, we're in favor of our Greek studies and our Hebrew studies, as long as it don't go to your head. But what happens? It generally goes to your head. Because we're proud as peacocks. You ever watch a peacock? He struts around with his spurs on and he's ready to fight anything. Until he runs into one peacock or one rooster that's a little faster than him, cuts his head off with his spurs. As long as we allow all those studies that we count so dear high to lead us to the foot of the cross in total submission, then there, there, uh, there argues falsely. As soon as they become the end and not the means to the cross, you're dead in the water. And that is what Paul is saying here. The only power that you and I have is the brokenness that we offer people. Offer first to God, and then we offer to ourselves. If you're not uh, a broken vessel, nobody smells the aroma. To put Paul's figure in 2 Corinthians, he said, uh, in 2 Corinthians, he said, uh, Uh, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Second Corinthians. Uh, so there's our message: is Christ and Him crucified. There's where the power's at. It's not in how much we know about the Greek, how much we know about the Hebrew, and all of the nonsense that goes along with that stuff. The pertinent point of salvation, of life and death, is in the cross. But you and I have got to die to self to be raised in Christ. So there's our message. The manner in which it preaches helps us not to trust in human wisdom. Number one, uh, uh, method preaching itself. Number two is the message, the crucified Savior. But the manner in which it is to be preached so we don't trust in human wisdom, it is 
preached in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Isn't that what Paul said? Yeah. I can remember in my early years, I mounted the pulpit with weakness and fear and much trembling. But was there a need there? Yeah, there was. There wasn't a preacher. I was taken and filling in for a void there that wasn't there. And you'll step into that void too. And you'll do like you step into it like Paul said, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And that's not because you don't have trust in your ability, it's because you have awe at your message. Your message will hold you in weakness and in fear because you'll try your best to present the picture that's revealed in God's Word. That's not always easy to do. You can present it, but uh, you want to, in a way that people, well, like my dad, he wrote a poem one time. He did. He lost it. I don't know what it all said, but it began with, uh, I'd like to be a blacksmith, not one of iron and coal, but one that can forge the words to melt your heart and soul. Well, that's in the Bible. That's words in the Bible, that what it teaches. And what's going to bring men to the cross is going to be uh, not your eloquence, but your ability to serve the Lord your desire to serve the Lord in weakness and fear and much trembling. So we go into the message knowing the world will call it foolish and stupid and it tends to cause you to be a little weak and a little fearful and a little trembling, doesn't it? Knowing the majority of the world will never accept your message and will hate you because of it and will probably get a cross ready for you. They did it to our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't they? And so we proclaim it just opposite the way the world says. We can go through all these courses of public speaking and, we, uh, and meet you at the top stuff. And all it, all it does is blows you up like a balloon. And the devil is there with a pen every time. And when he bursts the balloon, uh, you go lower than you were before the seminar started. That's just a matter of history. People that lead those things know that. That's why they try to enroll you in the next one so they can get you before the, the balloon goes down and get your money. Because most of them are in uh, in it for the money. They make their living doing that. So they get to keep you depending on them. And they're going to keep you thinking you got all the power. The power's in your boy, in your in you boy. You get the name, name it and claim it faith to get it uh, to the top. Run, run, clang. Climb, boy, climb. And Jesus uh, sits there at the bottom. 
and you meet at the top and Jesus at the bottom, you got to empty yourself even to be anything. You got to get self out of the way. Self has no place in the pulpit. Self has no place in the teacher's podium. Your focus is on the Word of God. The power is in the Word of God, not in you and your education. Now I went a long way around trying to explain this, but that's the base. That's basically what it's about. You got to become that broken man that counts everything that you've known and will know and has has the ability to know in the world as done. What's the precious thing? The revelation of God's Word that Paul's going to present here. And so anytime you enter anything, you enter it with the attitude of weakness, fear, and trembling, which causes great boldness, because that means you've got God's help going in. If you know the Word of God, you've got the boldness. You know the world's going to reject it. You know that most of the congregation's going to reject it. Not everybody hears the gospel the way it should be heard. Like Jesus said about the Jews having eyes to see, they refuse to see a lot of things. You go to talk, let, let me illustrate that. You go to talking about women's role from a biblical standpoint, and you're going to see people who profess to be Christians back off and cuss you, have no use for you, because you're down women. That's the way they look at it. I know of a congregation where a fella was trying his best to teach the truth about women's role in the church, which needs to be taught. And when he did, the elders called him off in the office, the preacher's office, and they told him, we'd like you to teach, but don't ever teach again on women's role because it made too many women mad. Yeah? What are you going to do? You're going to preach it anyway, ain't you? And then what Paul told Timothy? Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when men will not endure sound teaching, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they'll be led away from the truth under fables. I've seen congregations that want the teaching about women to just remain, to leave it alone, leave it a mystery. We don't, don't mess with that. But that ain't what God said, and that ain't what God revealed. And so you're going to preach when the world and even people in the church don't like it and talk against you. But you're going to preach it anyway. You're going to preach it in weakness and in fear. But you're going to preach the truth and you're going to preach it boldly. Uh, so there's God off to the side saying, I'd help you if I could, but I can't. There's no room. It's like some preachers, the calendars, from 7 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock uh, at night, they've got every 15 minutes filled. And you say, uh, Lord, why didn't you help me? 
well, I looked, for, looked at your calendar and you didn't have me in any of your appointments. You know, uh, you, you have no appointments with me because you thought yourself sufficient to do the job. And that's what's the matter with the pulpit today. Men and their self-sufficiency. And God can't help them. He'd like to, but they won't turn to Him. They're not the broken man at Calvary. They're not the man who died to himself and is raised out of that baptistry to walk in newness of life. He come out of the baptistry. I'm saved now right back to my regular world that I live in. And there's no change. Sixty years later, that old man's ready to die in the congregation and nobody's seen any change at all. But oh, how he sung in the congregation. Oh, how I love Jesus and partook of the supper every week. Deader than a hammer. If you've got to fix your motorcycle, particularly if it's a Harley Davidson, you take it serious, don't you? You study the book, don't you? You follow every step in it, don't you? What about your salvation? Does it have that kind of importance? So we don't rely on man's wisdom, but on the Spirit's power that He gives us. Look at verse 4. He said, My message and my preaching were demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Does the Spirit have power? Where is His power found? In the Word. What does the Word say to you? Well, let me just prove it. Romans 1.16, Paul said, Now this is the Spirit's message. What did Paul say that the Spirit revealed to him? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? The power of God unto salvation. And so if I'm simple-minded enough to rely on God and believe in God, I take His Word. And that Word builds within me power. Then I can face the world, I can face life and death with the confidence that I'm saved. Why? Because of the power of the Spirit's Word. Spirit's message. And that's just one example in everything about Christianity. Our power is in the Word. The Word of God. Why do you think John began his Gospel in introducing Jesus as the Word? You ever thought about that? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By Him, this Logos, this Word, by Him all things exist and were created. And without Him was not anything made that is made. And Jesus came with the words of life. What's the power of those words? How does Genesis describe the power of the Word? God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
and he separated the waters from the dry land, and they obeyed him. He speaks to rocks, and they cough up water to feed three and a half million people, their sheep and oxen, when they came to the Red Sea. We sing about it, but we don't believe it. You know, what is that song? La, 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 la. There's power in the word. Power in the word. In the blood. The blood being from the word. But if we believe God, uh, you know, then we, we see the power. We enjoy the power. But most people look at it as foolish. And women... Getting back to that illustration that I used, and I probably could use others and didn't, but women don't see the power in it, and so they persist in their the way the world has taught them. Oh, it's a 50 50 deal, and I'll take you, monster. I married you, but I'll take you to court and I'll clean you out, lock, stock, and barrel, because I have the power. <laughs> so when you think you can, you can't. Ask Moses in Egypt. And so we don't have any need for human wisdom. Because you can you can uh, if you rely on human wisdom you think that you can build a congregation? You can't. I was reading somewhere today uh, uh, some letter I got from some church about how to build strong congregations. Do you know there wasn't anything in there about the cross? And the cross is the bedrock of all of it. It all stems from Christ, which is the root of the tree. Yeah. But they had human wisdom mixed into their religion. And they was going to tell you with this expertise knowledge that you can buy for $99 and we'll send it right away to you. You can build strong churches. Bunch of crap. Bunch of manure. We have it right here. And you know why we can't find enough preachers to fill the pulpits? is because the devil scared them off. Why, you haven't been to school. What do you think you're doing up there, why? You couldn't teach a fly. And so consequently, oh, 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 I can't teach, I can't preach, I can't wait on the table, I can't do anything but eat and sleep and do what I like to do, ride a motorcycle. That's pretty limited, isn't it? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What is it? Philippians 2.5? Somewhere in there. Uh, and so... So Paul said in verse 4, My message and my preaching were demonstrations of the Spirit's power. 
So I got up to preach expecting the Spirit to be there. That's what Paul said in the latter part of verse 4. He said, I just expected the Spirit to be there. I was a man of the Spirit proclaiming the Word of the Spirit. And so I expected the presence of the Spirit. And so I just got up and preached. And when I did, when I did so, it was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we proclaim a crucified Lord in weakness and in trembling uh, and trusting the Spirit to be there. If you study the Word of God, you have the Spirit of God. It comes by words. Jesus said in John 6, 63 to the Jews, the words that I speak to you, they're spirit-giving and they're life-giving. How do I get the Spirit of God? Through the Word. He makes known His Spirit to me, and I embrace it. I believe it, and I, carry, I, t- I take it, and it has power in it. It has power for me to lay down my life if it calls for it in life's way for my Lord. It has power to make me stand in the gap and meet the needs that are there present in my life, whether it's preaching or teaching or what it is. And so, what's that other song we sing? Oh, that's power in the blood, isn't it? Yeah. And so we proclaim a crucified Lord in weakness and trembling, trusting in the Spirit to be there. Now I have seen this, and I, I don't know whether I'm, I don't want to, I don't mean to give you a testimonial, but maybe it will help you to understand. I've traveled off on my sickle, and I took time out to worship on Sunday, and I've been in congregations that didn't know their left hand from their right hand, and they're up there, the teacher's doing his best, he's trying to teach, but he don't know anything. And you have to give him uh, credit for getting up there. But still, he don't have know anything. And like the Lord said, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they don't know nothing. And so they're teaching. And here's how they teach. Let's see our lesson this morning begins in verse 7. And it starts out with the word and. Anybody know what and means? How about you, Brother Jones? Uh, Brother uh, uh, Slick over there? What do you think about it? And they spend an hour in stupidity and going nowhere. And because you're sitting there, as I have many times, knowing something about the Bible, and you speak up out of compassion for them, and all of a sudden, the lights start coming on. They begin to see the truth of what the Bible teaches. And right away afterwards they come and ask you, would you preach for us this morning? And they don't even know yet. They've never seen you before. They're desperate. They want the truth. They see joy in the truth. They see power in the truth. They just don't have it. And so when you get up in the pulpit, (laughs) you didn't come prepared uh, necessarily. Here's out riding to South Dakota or somewhere. You don't have a message. I've been there several times. Didn't have a Bible, didn't have a sermon or nothing. 
But I got up in front of people that what I did say to them from the Bible, I saw the power of the Spirit working on people. I saw several men gouging their wife and telling them, get that, get that scripture written down that he said. You can see the power. The power of God's Word. It awakens the, the ones who are asleep. It awakens those who are ignorant. And they begin to see the power in it. But you'll get up there and your prayer is, well, Lord, I'm going to stand the gap this morning. I, I, I want you to be with me. And there's things come to you if you didn't know you knew. They were there. They came how? By studying. Because Paul told Timothy to do what? Show yourself approved. Study to show yourself approved. But if you've done your studying, then you have within you the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit will be there. But we're afraid to get up, aren't we? We're afraid to stand the gap. Try it sometimes. God won't let you down. Talk to them about the gospel. Well, I'm going to finish right there. I, I like to look at my lesson before I get up here. I sure didn't have that opportunity tonight. And so I botched a lot of what I wanted to say because I wasn't in the right frame of mind. But I think we've got enough that we benefited from it tonight uh, to see Paul's message of coming to them people in fear and trembling, uh, particularly when we read Acts and when he went to Corinth. Yeah, those people wanted to kill him. And yet he got up and filled the gap. He'd done what was necessary. And he preached only the gospel. He didn't try to impress anybody with his great education. He counted it as dung for the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what nine, is today? 9-1. Nine 9-1. One. Nine one. Nine one? Yep. Well, is it 9 or 1? It's 9-1-21. Well, what number is dash? <laughs> <laughs>